Wow, you guys are in for a treat. <laughs> what a nice guy, man. Holy Christ. Yeah, and, and he was tough too. He has standards. He has like convictions. Yeah. He's like he's he's no milk toast. He's the real deal, this guy. Yeah, and boy, did I not expect some areas that we delved into. Like, had no idea that was in the realm. And I'm not going to say what it was because I want to keep it a surprise. But let's just say. Yeah, if you don't stick around for the full J.V. Hilliard interview, you are really going to miss some important stuff. Like, it's fantastic the breadth he has. Like, we, we he's a fantasy novel writer. He's about to complete his fourth book in a series. It's amazing to hear him talk about it. And then also these other aspects of his life where he has such depth and such character and such verve. Look that word up if you don't know what it is. And then it all comes together in a way at the end, in a way that only the moped out cause can deliver to you. <laughs> and um, yeah. And I want to say, I forgot what I was going to say. I just thought it was brilliant. So pop open a can of adrenochrome soda and get ready for the ride of your life. Sis, hello? Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. <laughs> and now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. Welcome to another episode of Moped Outlaws with our special guest, J.V. Hilliard, author of book one, The Last Keeper. Sit back and relax as we take you on a fantasy ride through the comic book in our brain. All right. Love the intro music, guys. (laughs) Thank you very much. That interview got me right in the mood. I'm ready to go. Where's my lute and lyre? And I'm ready to go play. I I really feel like I need to step to the sidelines and let you two geeks just geek this episode out because with all love and respect, JV, you are in the presence of a true Jedi Knight and, uh, and, and he, he could be far more for this episode than I could even dream about. Well, don't sell yourself short, Greg, because fantasy is this gateway that everyone can access. The beautiful thing about it is that you can become a creator from your own imagination, or you can journey to the worlds of challenge and wonder where people are brought to the brink of their own abilities and then find that amazing, amazing golden land beyond their wildest dreams. JV, I just got to say, I haven't read your books yet, but I can just tell from what I have researched about you that you have a super rich imagination. And I love that about you. And I love that we're going to be talking a little bit about that. I hope in this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I, glad that you had a chance to do a little bit of peeking behind the curtain and I'm more than happy to tell you what's back there too and, and give you the nickel tour. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah. 
So how long have you been doing, um, you know, desktop gaming or, or role-playing gaming? Uh, since I was 10, uh, my uncle was a Marine and was paralyzed in the war. And when he got home, my mother was, uh, his nurse and, um, there's very little that he could do. He was quadriplegic and two of the things he could do, uh, both involved a level of escapism from his physical form. And one of them was writing and the other one was, um, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So like for us, I grew up by his bedside, you know, he was like a second father to me. And, uh, so I fell in love with both things. And for my 10th Christmas, you know, I got my first copy of the Hobbit and I, and I got my first box set of Dungeons and Dragons and, Bam. It was, it was, we were ready to go. And ever since I've been playing, I still play with my nerd friends on Sunday nights. And, you know, so you're looking at a couple of decades worth of, uh, of, of story things that are campaigns rolling around in my head that I'm in some instances I use for my novels. So yeah, long time. It's awesome. A lot of people speak in a kind of you know, denigrative way about it in certain kinds of pop media and things like that. And I'll be honest, I've never played the game, but I've always loved the idea. I've always thought that the use of imagination and the way that people create these vast worlds with all of these complex permeations and outcomes of gaming is, is a really important aspect of growing your brain and becoming an, a full fledged human being. And I also will note that it was a big part of, um, stranger things at the beginning as well. Is that like a big homage to, to this gaming community and they run the world. <laughs> yeah. We do. We do. I've got my, my card right here. So you can, you can't see it because, well, there it is. I showed it to you real quick. You're not allowed to see it because it's a secret geek card. It gets me into everything. But um, no, you're right. I mean, look, I, in the beginning, I think there was a stigma to it. it. When, when I think I was younger, there was this, oh, it's Satanist and you can't do that kind of stuff. And then uh, now it's become popularized, not only by things like Stranger Things, but some of the online stuff that's out now out there, like uh, Critical Role and and uh, L.A. by Night for the vampire games and things like that. And you see actors, uh, you know, that are, are doing it on the side. And, and also, you know, it's become a big industry, right? And, and it's not that far afield from video gaming, right? So, like, if you think about it, you're just immersing yourself into a video game. You're watching TV and you're playing a game on your handheld or you're on your computer or you're watching a movie. You know, this is just taking a step and casting yourself as a character in it or in some cases like the dungeon master, the person that runs the game like Mike did on stranger things. Right. So it's a fun game. It's a game that will last years. And it's also, I mean, I hate to say it, but like our wives all get upset at us because when we get together for like Christmas or barbecues, we're talking about things that have never really happened that we've all shared in like this, this group delusion, you know, about battles and characters and people screwing up. And they're like, what are you guys talking about? Right. Like there's, this didn't happen. Can we talk about something else with the kids? And you just have to laugh about it because it's in your head. It happened, you know, and, um, you know, you, f- you form bonds and it's just kind of weird. There's even some PTSD stuff we tease each other about in a, in a very kind way where people make mistakes and you always make a joke about that same thing over and over. It becomes like a, it's like a, like a tripwire. Every time you see something that's even close to it, you've got to bust their chops on it and, and things like that too. So it's a, look, it's a lot of fun. I don't care about the stigma. I've never had a problem with people think about me, but you know, ultimately I get it, but I think it's been really popularized 
And there's been a resurgence of it over COVID. You know, there was a lot of, everybody was shut down. But in in, in today's day and age where you don't have to physically sit around a gaming table, you can do something like this or you can Skype or Zoom or anything and just play remotely. Like my friends are scattered all over the country. Only a handful of them in in the city that I'm in and the others are around. And on Sundays, 6 to 10, except during certain football (laughs) <laughs> they, they, uh, you know, we, we do play, uh, you know, regularly and it's a way for us to share in a game experience. And it's no different than poker or, you know, a video game. It's just a different game you're playing. You just happen to be a little bit more creative in doing it. Let me ask you a question. If you could put skins on your football teams that you watch that looked like medieval knights that were battling each other, <laughs> would you do it? Of course I would. Oh my God. It would be so much better. Right. Right. It wouldn't be that hard to just like dial it up on, on a computer and be like, all right, I want like Vikings in Viking suits and I want Cardinals like, like in like dressed like dragons (laughs) or, or like religious people. Right. Like Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. Inquisition. Yeah. Yeah. The Monty Python. (laughs) I did not expect the Spanish Inquisition. But like that, that, that kind of yeah, that that is just. I mean, that would be a lot of fun. First of all, the augmented reality it would take to do that would be just cool uh, to be around. But also, you know, when you think about it, there's not much difference except you know back in the day they actually killed each other in coliseums. You know, here it's just they're playing football for fun or another sport for fun. But you know, they're just killing each other slower. That's all. <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah i shouldn't laugh about that there, there is some stuff with, to that but uh you know in in truth it would just be a lot of fun to see them do that that's why i think the you know people like going to renaissance fairs or you know they go to some of the you know the vegas shows where everyone you're, you're getting served by people and that, that costume play a cosplay that's out there many many people do oh have you do you do like social media at all do you do tiktok I do. do Have you seen that new thing that came out a couple months ago where people are like these memes and they enter? Oh, my God. It just drives me crazy. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. So, you know, I've got to be honest. I I am not a social media guru. I use social media as a tool to promote my stuff. My wife, on the other hand, is like addicted to it. Like from like Facebook, TikTok, whatever, you name it. She's on it. She sees it. I get like puppy things and this funny thing that happens. And meanwhile, you know, it's like, I'm not, and all of her friends will be, you know, it's like, I can't get a hold of Joe. And it's like, well, that's because I'm not on, you can send me a Facebook message. I'm not going to get it. You know what I mean? Unless my, my social media person tells me, Hey, this person's looking you up. You might want to go check it out. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, but I, I, I am aware, but that's, those are good tools. Yeah, for JK like Rowling those. left you a DM. <laughs> that's, that I would return right away. You know what I mean? But you know, right, right. Yeah. Other than that, my, my wife's friends asking about a scavenger hunt. I might take a couple of days. Well, let me ask you this. Because with D&D, you're still playing it in the real world, right? You guys are using mm-hmm. real dice. Okay. If virtual reality got to a point where you really could with, um, you know, Goggles. be immersed in, would you do that? Or do you like the definition of a physical thing in hand? And I think I would try it. It's coming. Right. Um, you know, so just as an aside, uh, my my books, the series, the Warminster Saga, 
is being uh, there's a company that's creating an augmented reality and a virtual reality game out of it. Uh, the AR game comes out at the end of 2024, and the VR game comes out in 2025. So wow. it's there. Now, is it going to be perfect? No. Is it going to, you know, the day that it's the Matrix? Yes. Plug me in. I'm good. You know, but, you know, for now, you know, I I do enjoy sitting around with friends, looking them in the face, you know, and, you know, that eye-to-eye contact when the Dungeon Master is explaining what's going on and everybody around the table is on the same page, even though it's not happening, it's happening in everybody's mind. There's something to be said about that. That doesn't happen all the time. And you can get that at movies. You can get that at plays. Uh, you can get that when you're reading the books. I mean, the books are just in your head altogether. Right. So it's just one step beyond that. So for me, you know, a VR version would be fantastic just to check it out, just to see what it's like. But I'm going to guess that many of my characters would far exceed my physical attributes and would limit my ability to be good at a VR game. (laughs) Well, and I remember about 30 years ago, there was a friend who was really into nanotechnology, and he was talking about how with nanotechnology, you could have these things on your body that could totally emulate the physical touch and all that. It seems like if VR and nanotechnology join, there might be potential like where if you get hit, you will feel it. Hopefully not, you know, damaging, but it could be. And even facial expressions, like there could potentially be kind of like Golem in The Hobbit, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. There's haptics that they're using now, and to wear an entire suit that has that haptics in it right. uh, will allow you to feel things. So you'll know where you've been touched. And in a, you know, in a video game, it's one thing; it's just playing around or whatever. But there's plenty of other uses for that in medical, uh, in industrial. Yeah. You can see where there's, you know, those kind of things are, are going to, you know, the VR aspects of it are kind of limitless uh, at this point. But you know, those those aspects for gaming are going to make it fantastic. You know what I mean? Just sitting there, your goggles on totally immersed. You feel someone tap you on the shoulder and there's no one there. And you know, you're at home, but that, huh, that look around, I don't know if you guys have ever done VR before, but the the games where you're, you, they force you to like walk out on a bridge between buildings and you're looking down, uh, or the, the, the funny TikTok videos that you see with someone punching the screen. I mean, you forget, you know, your, your mind doesn't know it's, it can't, it doesn't, that one, that millisecond, that nanosecond just isn't there and you react to something and it's just, and that's what makes it a lot of fun. And then you believe that you've done it, which is even better. Right, so uh, um, another question that just popped into mind, obviously AI in the creative realm is really being debated strongly now with the actors and writers as a creator yourself. What are your thoughts about AI being present now? Well, you know, AI is a blessing and a curse, right? You know, the, there's always the good intentions and why it was created. And then the bad things that automatically come from it. You just, you can count on them, you know, in my realm, AI writing is tough to beat, right? Cause you can, you can give enough detail to have an AI writer write a story for you. And uh, now there are AI detectors out there that can detect if a story has been written through AI, you know, and I think that the the problem is really it comes down to do you want a creative that created something out of his or her own essence, you know, that art form that you look for, or do you trust an artificially intelligent bot to go out and scrape together bits and pieces of stories from someone else's creativity, like real life people, and put them together in a story 
in a picture, you know, whatever. And, and some of it's fun. You just playing around with it and, you know, it's really cool to see, but there are novels out there that have been written in AI so that you can get them out quickly. And, you know, I think that where the market meets the, the road is, you know, uh, the millennials on back do not have long attention spans and they're used to things being available to them on demand. You know, you think about what, you know, they're used to Netflix and you go there, you can binge watch a show and all that kind of thing. And, and in publishing, there is a new technique to keep them on board because if you, if you takes what used to be a year to get a book out, um, now there's an expectation that it's a month, if not two. And then if after that, you lose me as, as your audience. And so this rapid release stuff, the only way you can keep pace, like I write epic, I write epic fantasy. My books are 500 plus pages long. I have 140,000 words in them. It takes me three months to write a book and then it takes my editors three months to go through it. You know, so for me to, to rapid release my novels is impossible, but an AI writer could, you know, and then all I have to do is go in there and edit it. Right. And then make it so, well, you know, I wrote this, but meanwhile, it was some chat GPT thing uh, that, uh, that did it for me. And is that really art when I know that the majority of it came from someone else's work and those words and those thoughts were just scraped together and put because some AI device thought this was what I was looking for. And, you know, in some cases it gives you a jump start. you know, other cases it's really bad because it's direct plagiarism. All right. Hang on to your hat, JV. You can build a machine and train it only to your world. You so it's sound your AI like machine. You train on your original IP. And then you can let people know like, hey, I built my own AI and I trained it on the stuff I wrote. It's my robot that's writing this. How does that? <laughs> yeah, sound right. Not good. It's the same thing, right? So like what, I, what I'll describe is I had a conversation with a very famous, well-heeled, widely published author who wanted to do that just for to say he could do it you know because he yeah literally you know in our discussion we talked about the 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 bads of it and how it affected but he's like well you know what i can i can do this i can say i wanted to write in this uh, my author my name our way to do it but again it's it's just going back and stealing stuff that i've already done Right. It's not new stuff like my new stories. It can't write because it doesn't know them. They're here. It doesn't actually right? have and, imagination. Right. So it's just pulling from it. So in my limited portfolio of four novels, it could only pull from there. Now, if I had a hundred, if I'm Stephen King, sure, you could pull that together, I guess, and, and it would work. But ultimately, well, he just the used lim- natural AI. He just hired ghostwriters, didn't he? Yeah. Well, that's that's the other thing. Like there are there are times. So. Ghostwriters is an entirely different thing. You know, right. there are there are times when um, in this publishing day and age that it, it doesn't I'm not going to say it doesn't make sense to use them. That's the wrong word. There are people out there that have very good stories to tell that aren't good writers. Right. They need ghostwriters. There's a there's a there's a role for that in the marketplace. Like, for example, when you see a biography of somebody that came out and they basically, you know, worked at a nine to five job, they didn't write that. You know, that someone else wrote that for them. And sometimes, you know, depending on the contractual obligation, you'll see their name by it, you know, like, you know, written by famous person and then also and some ghostwriter guy. Right. You know, and that kind of stuff is is out there and and, and it serves its purpose. 
in other cases is to give you that jump start because you have a you've got to do something quickly. Like sometimes publishing houses, there's an there's an immediate event and they want to take advantage of it and they want to sell a million copies because something happened last week and they need to get something written in a week to get it out and published and out and and those happen too. So there are a lot of things behind the scenes that ghostwriters are used for. You know, other times there's there's a thin line between being a development editor and a ghostwriter. And a development editor helps guys like me all the time. I hand someone my book and they read it and they tell me where the holes are. You know, I might be too close to it to recognize um, that I didn't, these, these two chapters don't connect well, or there's a missing piece here, or why did this person do that? That doesn't make any sense to me because I've read it so many times and in my head, I know what happened, but reading it for the first time, their job is to point out all the whole same thing with beta readers. They read it and tell you what they like and they don't like about it. So you can go back and tweak those things and make them better. You know, traditional ghost writers where it's like, I, I'm a writer and I want you to write my stuff for me and then I'm going to claim I wrote it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not much different, you know, except for in the event that you need someone to fill in holes for you. You know, and look, and I think everybody's guilty of that in some capacity or one way or another. Like, the, like for example, I don't write poetry, but in my novels, I have a certain, not a main character, but an important character to the novels that has a poetess. And so I asked a real life poet if she can write the poems. I told her what I wanted and then I gave her credit. I attributed it, her work as part of the, you know, my, uh, uh, my forward in the book to make sure that everyone knew that that was hers. And I promoted her on my social media, thanking her for her work. Like the same way I don't, I didn't design the cover of my novels. My illustrator did that, but it's just as important because when you sell a book, the first thing they look for is the cover. As stupid as that sounds, and I know it's cliche, think about think about this. You walk into a bookstore, you go to a, an area of the bookstore that, that you want to go to, so you want you go there and you look in, in my case, fantasy sci-fi. I go in there and the first thing you see is not the author's name, you see the cover. You know, And if the cover grabs you, you grab the book and what do you do next? You turn it over and look in the back and you read the 250 word summary, the blurb about what's in the book. And then if that continues to interest you, then you flip the first page and read the first couple of pages and you're like, all right, I'm in, I'm, I'm going to go by. So before they even get to me, they've already gone through my editor and they've already gone through my, my illustrator before they even picked up my art form. Right. So there's, you, you build, there is a team effort here. And so there's a role for that, but you know, it just depends on, you know, whether or not you're a writer professionally or you need someone to write your stuff for you. All right. I want to shift gears a little here. Yeah. I, I heard you say that your uncle who served in the military and was disabled as a result, God bless him and thank him for his service. <laughs> and then you began to write at a young age, right? But there was a point where that writing was just done for you or done by you in a way that wasn't really a commercial enterprise. And then there's this moment where you decide you're going to try and write your first book. Can you tell us a little bit about how that transition happened in your life and what were the things around that that happened? Yeah, sure. So when I was younger, you know, I wanted, I emulated him and he wrote horror stories and short stories, pulp fiction that would get published in old school magazines that really don't exist very much anymore. Um, but it was something he could do and it kept him, you know, active and professional. And so, you know, I sat next to him and I just typed on my computer and tried to be him. And I always wanted to write a book. And I think playing the Dungeons and Dragons stuff, as long as you have, there's just so many good stories that come from that. Some funny, some action oriented, some, you know, lifelong lessons you can learn from role playing as, as something. And, you know, you take those things and over the years, I've just kept notes knowing that one day I would write a book. And you're right. When I got out of college, 
um, get your first job, you get married, you do things, you're, you're trying to get your, your footing in the professional realm and writing takes out, a, a you know, a backseat to that in part because you don't make any money at it, right? Like 99% of authors don't make any money, enough money to subsist on their writing. So they have day jobs. Um, and for me, I, I went and, you know, if, if this is, this sounds stupid, but if just from, you know, what you know from me, you'll probably laugh at this, but I'm a defense lobbyist. I do defense and technology lobbying in DC as my day job, right? So my six years, first year, six years out of college, I worked for a, you know, a Senator who was on the armed services committee. And then I did military and veteran affairs. Like, like, so for, for me, you know, I worked in, in that realm and it's hard to break away because at one point you're doing it to build a career. And then all of a sudden you have a career. And then I've made several businesses out of that career and they all make more money in one year than I'll ever make in my lifetime selling books. Unless I get lucky. If you're that one half of 1% that is JK Rowling or Stephen King or something like that, you'll, you just, but that going into it, you know, that that's a lottery ticket. Right. And for me, so I put it off and then COVID happened. And if you guys can't tell, I'm a pretty energetic guy. And my wife looked at me and she was like, oh, my God, I am not sitting in this house with you. You're going to drive me insane. Do something. Figure out something because you're going to kill me. So I I said, you know what? I'm going to go into my den and I'm going to write that book. I'm going to kick it off my bucket list. And I did. And I put it together and it was a mess. But there was the meat. The, the the bones were good, you know, I, I, and I shared it with a professor friend of mine who said, you know, this is publishable, but you need to work on these couple of things. And she referred me to, to a development editor who then referred me to his publisher and the rest is history. And so, you know, the Warminster saga was born. The last keeper came out, you know, December of 2021, right. As I started to get my sea legs and understood how to, you know, how to write in this genre and what it was to be an author and then as COVID has kind of gone away and things are going back to normal, I've gotten traction here. So, you know, on book four gets released at the end of the year and, you know, I've got a video game, I've got a comic book slash graphic novel that'll come out in 2025. And so there's commercial application to it that will beget additional opportunities for me to make money. Uh, but, you know, the big payday still is far down the road. I mean, it just doesn't work the way, I mean, you you get lucky and maybe someone offers you a movie deal. Right. But you've got to have a half a million followers these days and you've got to have sold a million copies on me or they're not going to touch you because there's risk involved in that. You know? So for me, I made that transition because the silver lining of COVID was I had time to do it, which I would have never been able to do else uh, any other way. And now I'd love to finish the back nine of my career, just doing this. If I can make that work. This is just so you time. enjoy the process of being at the, the typewriter and creating the worlds. Like you, you actually thrive in that like eight hours or whatever. Talk a little bit about what writing is for you as a discipline or as how it unfolds on a day by day basis. What's your process like? Yeah, every day is different. Right. And I, there's a couple of types of, of writers. There are planners and plotters like me who really stall out if, you know, to use a moped term, uh, you know, they, they stall out if they, I don't have the gas and the gas for me is the plot line. Like I need to see where I'm writing to. Like there's a destination I'm writing there and I can write to it. Others are pantsers. They fly by the seat of their pants and they can write just, you give them three words and all of a sudden their story. And then they don't know where they're going. They get like 10 chapters in and they're like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I always know what's going to happen. Right. Like, and I, or else I can't write. It's like, if they say, well, what are you writing on? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know where I'm going. So I always know where my stories are. And for me, the process starts with writing the end first. 
Then I go back to right the beginning and then I fill in the middle. And I know that might be a little bit of reverse engineering, uh, but that works for me. So I know where I'm writing to. I know what the character is going to end up with. And I do a lot of that planning inside my den. It's, it's not necessarily all on the computer. It's some there, but you know, if you saw my den, it's just a whiteboard of, it looks like a sweet 16 bracket with all of these plot intersections and characters and where they're going until the final end of the plot. Uh, and then those individual galaxies connect to others to create a universe, which will be the series. Right. And that's how I write. And I know that's super regimented and people, some people would look at me like you're crazy. That one, well, no judgment here. We just want to know how the miracle occurs, JV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's how it happens. But writing eight hours a day, I don't do. Like I'll write a half an hour and then I go on and do real life stuff. And then I write for three hours or there are times where it's just flying. Right. And you just don't want to walk away from it. Uh, and that's when you try not to, you try to be disciplined and stay, stay at that keyboard, man. You know what I mean? Even when I'm driving and I'm tra- I travel between stuff, you know, uh, using your phone to dictate, you know, that dictation thing. And, and that way you're not forgetting what you're going to do. And you could take notes that way. I think that all, all that stuff helps these days. Have you had an experience where a character surprises you where you're like, you start going, Oh wait, this person is now doing this. Didn't see that happening. I know authors that do. I'm not one of them. Okay. Uh, and I think that just goes back to my, my planner roots. Like right. I, I can't, I already know what they're going to do before they do it. Now I will say that there have been times where my beta readers and my editors have given me better direction and they said, well, wouldn't it be more like this character if they did X? And if you're open-minded and can take constructive criticisms, most of the time they're right, and you go back and fix it so that they're there. And, and sometimes you miss those nuances. Uh, and I can say for a fact that I've had characters that I've cut out because people didn't like them or they didn't feel like they fit, or that I've changed characters or outcomes for characters based on the fact that people thought it would be a better story. And so I liken that process to, you know, you go to a movie theater and you're part of a screening and they show the three different endings of three different theaters. And then they judge which one got the best response. And that's the ending of the movie. Well, that's the same thing that happens in books. Your, your beta readers and your editors are going to tell you what they like and what they, what they don't like. And so sometimes that forces you to change your characters. Yeah, it's not often that we have a defense lobbyist on uh, the show, so I want to um, – this is going to be a hard left turn, but and I do not want you to violate your NDAs or any of your oaths of secrecy. But I want you to, though, and we're recording this, so please. <laughs> I've recently been sent some interesting things by people who support the former president, and one of the things that is common amongst uh, people of that um, – framework is <laughs> this idea that there's this thing called the continuity of government, which was implemented during that presidency, which is a actual thing, right? In the, in the defense department, like if anything were to happen to Congress, there's a plan for how are we going to get everybody to the bunker and then reset up Congress in the bunker. This is called the continuity of government piece. And so many people that I've spoken to, claim that we happen to be under continuity of government conditions right now. Can you verify or deny that that's the case? Uh, Yeah, that's not the case. Um, You know, so I would say that there's a few things. um, So, yes, there is a structure in place 
Uh, we see it all the time. In fact, there was a very popular TV show that yeah. Keith Sutherland was in for the designated survivor. That happens every year uh, during the State of the Union and or when everybody gets together. And so there's a there's a forced um, there, there's a forced rubric around that uh, for those kind of things uh, to say it's in place right now and working. N- no, I think there's there was a lot of theoretical stuff about his, you know, was there. Uh, cheating on both sides during the electoral processes, especially in larger states that were mostly Democratic because, you know, of votes that were passed or were, were made and didn't happen or vice versa and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, all those kind of things are mostly just political propaganda. You know, um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen because there's proof that it does happen every single election cycle. But, you know, is there like some sort of like Illuminati out there doing it? No, not that I've seen. Well, yeah, I've I seen think- some screwed up stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think My the day. key here is that we're not operating extra nationally. We're not under continuity of government. The United States of America is intact and the Constitution is in place. That was all I really Yes wanted. and yes and yes. And man, was that a left turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's stay on this path here. I'm wondering, sure. um, with the experience with your uncle, um, mm-hmm. for me, that brings up a very all the negative elements of military, um, you know, someone comes back home with all their, their legs gone. And in your work, what do you see as the positives of humanity in the military realm? Oh, there's plenty. You just have to look for it. Um, for example, we're sitting here talking right now over something called the internet, which would not have existed if it wasn't for military funding when they created, when DARPA created the, the first rung of this, not Al Gore DARPA, uh, which is <laughs> Oh, defense. wait, that, now yeah, I gotta yeah. read my notes. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, just as a sidebar, you know, but, you know, ultimately there's plenty of things like satellite technology that's allowing us to do this or Wi-Fi that comes from military investment and or many advances in healthcare. You know, as part of the DOD's continuum of care, they have to take care of somebody who is a, um, you know, uh, an enlistee to the day that they die and their families as part of the VA. And so you have research and things like cancer and diabetes and stuff that comes from that, that no one really knows uh, until it's out there. And the government's doing it for two things, protect, provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare. And sometimes providing for the common defense also promotes the general welfare. So you'll see successes medically, you'll see successes with energy, you'll see successes, um, you know, in various realms like the Jet Propulsion Lab or Sandia or Oak Ridge Labs or things that they're doing just outside of me in South Park here with uh, liquefying coal, taking out all the bad stuff so you have a long-lasting source of energy. No one knows about that, right, because that's not sexy, you know. And what you see is you see the combat stuff and you see things. But, again, you know, every country has a right to defend itself, and in some cases you have to exert yourself um, and there are days where, you know, the U.S. loves the Fortress America stuff. And there are days when we're the, the top cop for the entire world. So it just depends on who's in charge and what the whims of, of uh, the, the, the electorate is, you know, at that time. And so, you know, I see a lot of good that comes from it. Unfortunately, it's 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 that's the preparation for, I think, was, um, you know, the you know, that you see a lot of that stuff. And, and the war itself is never good. Do you see a real change in the political mindset of the people you interact with, depending on who is our commander in chief? 
Uh, yeah, I would say it's unhealthy. Um, in the last 10 years in particular, there's been a polarization in D.C. Uh, that has taken place that it makes you want to leave. Like good people want to get out of D.C. And what I mean by that is both sides are so crazy right or crazy left that it you, there, there's no one in the middle anymore. The, 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 the insane are running the asylum. And, and I say that working have worked, have worked in it in the last 20 years, right? I've seen it all. And when I got down there, it was different. You could argue with someone on the floor of the Senate, like my boss had done or Congress or in a public debate. And it was healthy discourse. And it was me, my ideas versus yours. Now it's militant and people are bombing clinics or people are bombing whatever they're bombing or they're threatening or they're the, the protests are no longer, you know, you know, the steps of Congress or the steps of the Supreme court. Now it's, I'm going to go and protest your family or you're not going to be safe. And I'm going to dock you on, dox you on your, your Twitter and we're going to cancel you. And just because you don't believe the same thing I believe, you know, and, and it's just toxic. And what you have is toxic leadership. You, 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 we see it now. I mean, it's not even funny. I mean, the president is not in a mental capacity to run this country, nor is our leader in the Senate. So you could be a Republican or Democrat and hate me right now. But the truth is, is they're both too old to be doing what they're doing. Those jobs are so demanding. And you see it in their day-to-day stuff. I mean, McConnell freezing up a couple of weeks ago. Pelosi's had her stuff. Biden has them once a week, if not more. You know, And when you look around the edges of who will take over using your continuum of government example, it's scary because they're all extremists. Uh, and I say that, you know, being part of the system, I'm like my stuff, I don't have to be, I'm not pro Democrat or pro Republican. You know, I'm pro good technology that the government is going to use. And so the companies I represent take that technology and it provides for the common defense or it promotes the general welfare. So for me, I'm not on either side of the aisle. So I'm, an, I'm neutral in the middle and you look at it at what it once was there are no Bill Clintons. There are no Bob Doles. There are not even the Newt Gingriches of the world that you can go to and would understand it was just a parliamentarian thing that they were doing. Now it's there's activism and there's a seediness to it. And there's a, just a lot of consternation around that. And I fear that it chases good people out of government and it just leaves the crazies there to, to handle it. That's just sad. This is a brilliant analysis, JV. And, and we've got to find a way to bring the young, inspired people back into the fold and and what's happening what you described is the civil has been taken out of civilization this idea that we can find a way to be in the same room with people with opposing ideas and find the commons find the common ground find what unites us right the first word in the name of our country is the united state (laughs) right and so i'm i share your views and i share my heart aches when i hear you speak about this and i am determined not to let it be the story right there's got to be a way for us to reignite the kinds of grace and decorum and principles that have us be able to agree to disagree in a way that's generative and that creates, you know, more unity and more possibilities for each other. And I think so much of that is a result of the economics of the election cycle and the idea that Citizens United is the law of the land. Are you familiar with that decision? Mm hmm. Would you agree that that's that one of the ways we can start to solve this issue is to eliminate unlimited money in election cycles? You know, that's a hard question to answer, because the truth of it is, it's your First Amendment right. 
right? And it's the first right, first amendment because it's the most important. So your right to choose your religion, your right to free speech, your right to assembly, you know, and giving money is your right of free speech. Some people have money, other people have population, right? So you can speak in a combined voice like Dr. King did, you know, or you can speak through, you know, voices by giving money and, and activating things. The problem is, is that a lot of that at the federal level, there's window dressing around it. It makes it look like you can give the, we're limiting your, the amount that you can mm-hmm. contribute as an individual. Okay. So I can only give 2,600 and 5,200 total in one given cycle. And, and it works that way. Uh, but then when it gets to soft money, I can give it as unlimited amount. You know, here in Pennsylvania, where I am, I could have given the, the governor a million dollars if I wanted to. N- nothing to stop that. And so, you know, it does play a role. And outside money also plays a role. Like people, the George Soros's of the world that dump a lot of money to try to change fundamentally what America is because he disagrees with it. Uh, or, you know, the opposite way around when you have countries uh, that are investing money. I mean, the reason that a lot of these, like, I, I, you know, here's a perfect example of one. And I hate to say it because I don't, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to pick one side or the other, but right now we have a fairly open border. And the problem that we have in the country is with drugs and those drugs, some of them are based on fentanyl and those drugs are coming through the Mexican border, but there isn't a single fentanyl factory in Mexico. It's all in China. So China is selling fentanyl and creating it and sending it to Mexico. And then they're putting it on the backs of mules that come in the country when they're sneaking people in because we don't have a border, right? That's a problem, right? And that's money being spent by a a country that is opposed to us so that they can do things that wreck us internally, makes our healthcare system overbearing, does stuff to us socially when there's more addiction, uh, and it makes us spend money in a place where it's not combating them, right? And that's one example. Now, I can give you 20 like that. That's an easy one. You know, if you want to take a look at what's going on in the Ukraine, or you want to take a look at what's going on with Brexit, or you can take a, and it doesn't matter what side you're on, you could pick one or, or the other. And so the problem is, yes, at the heart of your question, it would be great to say, you know, one person, one vote, no money, but that doesn't work either. You're right. You know, you, you get down and then it's just, a, a, you know, now all of a sudden you're, you, you, you get into a place where you're now limiting my first amendment, right. To spend money. Like, what are you going to limit next? I can't put a bumper sticker on my car. Yeah, because uh, I'm spending money now. It's in kind, you know, and so it, where do you draw the line there? It just really gets it gets murky. All right. Well, here's where we turn right. No, no, wait. Let's not turn right. I've been watching Marianne Williamson and her uh, second run for presidency. And she just shared that the view last I think it was it's was within the last two weeks where the women on the view were talking about the upcoming election and one of the women said well no one's running for the Democratic Party you know Biden's our only choice and Marianne Williamson's point was I've been announced for almost a year I am actively campaigning and here's this major media outlet that just like dismissed me completely didn't mention me at all and there's an element in that scenario that big money's needed so that she can't be dismissed like how does she compete effectively in that environment well you know there's a few things you know folks first of all folks like that typically have a tendency to be fringe elements right they're on the far right far left they love something so much and they just can't see through republican red or democratic blue and in some cases it's 
it's crazier stuff, not just D's and R's, you know, reactionary <laughs> versus communism, right? Like, I'm just going to say what it is. And so they, you don't want them to get money and you don't want it to be fair for them because it's not the best in the best interest of the country. Now I can say that someone could disagree with me. Right. But that's the whole point. Like we can, we can do that, you know, but in order to tax me and then give money to someone so they have a voice and I'll tell you, you don't have to go that yeah. far to look at, just look at any of your social feeds today, you know, and you'll see that uh, idiots are online, you know, and they have millions <laughs> of people following oh them. And they say something stupid and millions of people will, will like it or follow it or oh retweet God. or whatever it is. Yeah. And you're like, this person shouldn't have a voice They're They don't even know what they're talking about, you know, and, and that's another, uh, it's a huge problem, you know, that we've gotten gotten away from it. It's hard for them. I realize that, but the idea that you're speaking, you might not win as a candidate, but you're advancing a certain platform and then you can be there to build it into the platform. Sometimes those things take time. They take years, decades, even sometimes centuries, right. you know, to put something over the top. And, and, you know, and that's, and, and that's what it's there for, but it's hard in our structure to do that overnight. And, you know, for, you know, in media, let's face it, they're just, there throwing bombs. I mean, for anybody to say that they're fair and balanced or anybody no. to say that they're, yeah. it just, it doesn't, no, 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 no. They're there to sell. And you, all you have to do is listen to them for more than a day and they repeat themselves. And there's a message in there and it's, it's ridiculous. They are no longer the, I won't even go back to Cronkite. I'll go to Brokaw. <laughs> you know, let me go back to Koppel. And, and, and that's where it started, where it went bad with a, you know, the, you know, fake media, they, they were put out fake news because they, they wanted to invest in the outcomes and you just can't, you can't have that but, stuff. So you do you know of any resources with your inside um, experience? Do you know of resources where you could say, this is a good resource to get information from? Well, it just depends, right? Like the, the resources that you might be talking about are really reform resources. And, and I think what you need to find is, you know, I think people are so sick of the left and the right that there's a, there, this might be a time or we're close to a time where there's, there's a chance for an independent party. You know, where people are like, look, we just want to get back to the middle. This is just ridiculous. And, you know, whether it's the media or the ability for anybody to say whatever they want, regardless of how uneducated it is on social media and stir the pot and all that kind of stuff. You know, those days, there's, you know, if you want, if you're looking for restrictions, there, there's a great place where you need to. I don't know. I don't know how you handle that. I'm not I'm not that expert. But I think that what you might find and I know this is a cop out answer to your question, but what you might find that there's a need for that third party to step in and it'll be ugly and it'll be messy and it's not going to be perfect. But I think that's where you'll find what would have been when I was growing up a traditional liberal and a traditional conservative coming together and saying, all right, well, we're not either going to win, but that's okay. Let's, you, let's work on a compromise out. in the middle right. as opposed to what we have today, which is all or nothing. It's like it's entirely off or it's entirely on and, and that's never good. Yeah, and it seems like it's not even all or nothing. It's like they'll cut off their nose to spite their face because yeah. they don't, they'll fall on their sword because they don't care. I mean, and you yeah. see it all the time. Yeah. I can go and give you 10 different examples of it where it's like, I know I'm going to be unelected, but when I do this, I'll get unelected and it'll be okay because it's going to take you 20 years to fix it. And by then yeah. you're not going to be mad about it anymore. Yeah. All right. So here we go. I'm turning the, the boat right. to the right again, <laughs> back towards the fantasy world. J.V. Hilliard, you are an architect of fantasy. So how would you, someone hands you this story of the United States where it is right now. You've got to finish the book. 
and make it happen and turn out well. How does it finish? How would you, how, what would you do with this story that we're all in right now as just a fantasy writer? You don't, you're not bound by pragmatics here. You're bound mm-hmm. by just your imagination and the possibilities. All right. So this is going to come out of, <laughs> out of nowhere. So forgive me before I say this. And I ask all of my followers and readers to forgive me for saying it because I don't know where it's going to go. This is a bad, this is why Joe's a planner and not a pantser. Uh, but uh, I'll do my best here. And what I would say is I would invert the movie, the omen, right? So instead of it being the antichrist that rises and Damien Thorne is going to destroy the world somewhere, somehow there's a white knight. And he or she rides, uh, it doesn't have to be born. And I'm not even talking about a religious aspect of it. The country needs a white knight. You know, they need someone that, that, that can, will emerge from this and, and lead us. Uh, and so I would write a book. I would create a realm where there is an American white knight. And it doesn't have to be Captain America with a, you know, uh, you know, you know a suit on and that, carrying yeah, the shield yeah, yeah. and all other kind of stuff. It just has to be someone that people will follow. And they're like, oh, I get that message. And we've come close. You know, I mean, there's, you're, there are points where you can, you can point to the founding mothers and fathers that have done that, you know, where people have come out and followed them and they've really made a lot of change. I think that's what we're missing right now. And I think my book would start down that path, but then I would give it a little Monty Python, right? <laughs> we've got to, we've got to have, we got to have a side character, someone there who, you know, has the holy hand grenade or, you know, somebody that, um, you know, is the comic relief that you, we love to, you know, to, to fall in love with. You want to give it a, you know, a, you know, a common enemy, right? So why don't we choose North Korea? Cause everybody, they're the common enemy, everybody. So like North Korea is a common enemy and the white knight rides out to save it. And, and, you know, someone has a holy hand grenade and, and that's how it ends. And that's where I would say on a spur of the moment, you're asking me, Monty Python's my go-to. Got it. So thank you for that, because in it is this inherent belief that it is possible. And I think that's the fundamental thing we all have to hold in our hearts. We can't give into this idea that it's going to go down the tubes. This is Armageddon. If you're thinking Armageddon, you're creating it. And so we all have to put on our best fantasy hats because it doesn't like when you look out at the, do the calculus, it's like, I don't know how we got here. I do not know how we're going to get home. The idea that we're going to is a complete fantasy, but you know what? Stranger things have happened. We've created amazing oh. things together. And I like I the way of going back to Stranger Things too. Right? <laughs> well done. Welcome to well played. Outlaws. We don't go fast. Well played. We I go heard great places together. <laughs> so, but that's the point I think. And I, I, I love that you have found a way in your life to bring this powerful human aspect of yourself, which is the imagination out, even though it, it isn't necessarily your forerunner of, of what you want economically or any of those things. Of course, you'd love to do it. But I, I think it, as we look at this political climate and we look at the challenges we face as a nation and with your insider viewpoint, the fundamental piece is we all have to start believing we can find a way that we're not doomed. And from that, we can all emerge in our white nightness to some degree yeah. at, at a greater or lesser level. And together we can find a way. And um, it may be that I'm that guy, but I'm not ready to claim that, but it's just, <laughs> it seems like I have ideas just so you know, if you need a little help, well, I got one. Yeah. I've got a crazy one okay. because I think this is, this is a test for anybody and I would, I would challenge anybody to do it. And then the next day I want them to be honest with me. That's the only thing I'm going to ask. Okay. I already know who that white knight is. 
it's a it's a light switch. And what I mean by that is if everybody would just turn off their TVs, their radios, and their social media for one day, they would find out it ain't all that bad, right? It isn't. I just right. But when you're inundated by propaganda every day telling you that you're inherently racist or that I'm treating someone uh, in, in a way that they, they shouldn't be treated and I'm a bad person for it or oh, I've got a certain privilege or someone else does. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm telling you right now, your life goes on. And you forget about those things, and it, it, it simmers down real quick. Uh, and so I think the hero is really pulling the plug out of the wall just for a day and getting people level set. You know, it's not that hard. If you don't listen to all that stuff out there, it's all, it's all white noise. You know, and people fall victim of it because they're just hearing it over and over, and they don't even know they're hearing it some of the times because it's all this stuff. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, I'm going to go about my life doing what I'm going to do. And you're going to go about yours. And usually in a community, you help people, right? It's part of that. But you know, now you're walking around on eggshells, not wanting to offend somebody or not being part of a group or being part of a group that, you know, and it's just so dumb, you know, and at the end of the day, it's not that bad. We're just being told it's bad, right? So just turn down the volume. (laughs) So that Holy grenade you talked about is just a giant EMP. See what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) You asked for it. You got it. Love it. Love it. Um, wow. I'm so grateful that you were willing to go there because I'm sure you do a lot of podcasts that are centered on your authorship and the marketing of books and where the titles are going. And, and obviously we're on a different ride here at Moped <laughs> Outlaws. So um, at well, you stage, warned me, you said, hey, this thing can go off the cliff. Right? <laughs> and I, hey, ride or die, brother. I don't have a moped, but if I did, I'd ride or die with you guys. Thank oh. you. It's very kind. Um, we have a question we ask. Wait, all wait, wait. Before guests. we go there. Before we go there, Greg, what? I would love to hear you two geek out on Star Wars because I would learn so much. <laughs> that's a different show, right? That's an entire no, hour. No, on no, no. That's like, like, <laughs> so like we've got like a seven-minute geek out on Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Like, so just ask JB, did you watch episode um, the latest episode of Ahsoka? I did. And how did you feel about the the world the worlds in between and her, you know, returning back to the Clone Wars? What, what how were, how did you like it? Uh, it's a ripoff. Right. I mean, Disney, in my opinion, Disney has single handedly destroyed the Star Wars world. I mean, four, five and six. Let's go back to the movies for a second. I'll come back to Ahsoka in a minute. Um, mm. Great. One, two, three. Mediocre. Seven, eight, nine. Like you can't do better than that. you're Disney. And that's what you can do. You basically give me four again. Uh, and then something in the middle and I'm not even sure what it was. And then at the end, you know, everyone in the world wanted her to be a Skywalker and you make her Palpatine. I mean, like, yeah, so it's just, it's ridiculous what they've done. And then you take a look at what they've splintered off. I was, I was so excited to see Boba Fett stunk. I was so excited. And of course I'm excited every time they mention something new, I was excited for Ahsoka, but you know, they, they mentioned Obi-Wan stunk. You know, mediocre, but he's in this animal was killed. Like just so many plot holes, so many plot holes, Mandalorian really good. I enjoy it. And I think it was because it, it was given creative license outside of Kathleen Kennedy in many respects. And, you know, f- you know, I, I think that the, the team there had, had done a pretty good job of, of moving it forward. But Ahsoka, the reason I say it fell flat for me is I've seen it before. 
right? Like the, the time war thing that going back in time, it is so it's like overdone. It's like what vampires was 10 years ago. And I love vampires. Don't get me wrong. And I've been reading time war stuff forever. And I think it's, there's the part and parcel of any kind of star travel, whether it's star Trek or star Wars or any kind of thing in the future, in order to get to where you're going, you need some sort of time space continuum. So things can get screwed up. And I do like the idea of them trying to come back to characters that had been lost. Right. And, and trying to find it. And Thrawn's a, big bad evil guy uh you know and ezra is a big bad good guy you know and you want that for the characters you want that for, as part of the, the plot line but it's like you're disney can you not come up with a better i mean we, we've seen this over and over and over again it's like you know and i so, just i I'm, i haven't been so i'm gonna push back a little right anything. because what we have here is dave filoni starting to get the reins a little bit and he's the only guy who's been trained at the Jedi Temple under George's leadership, right? And so th- this is his chance to kind of navigate through the Disney, um, you know, uh, trench, Death Star trench, and emerge victorious and re- reinvigorate the storytelling. Like, do you at least hope that that's possible? That, that Dave well, will I think break he's doing. Free? Well, he did Mando, right? And Mando's pretty good. Well, he did a so sort of. Right. You know, so, and, and Ahsoka is produced really well. The problems that I have is in some cases, the, I don't want to say the acting is subpar, uh, you know, and I'll give you a couple of examples and it's nothing as full. I think he's doing, he has done of the stuff that's been produced that I've seen. He's his is the best by far. And, and right. maybe I'm being overcritical because, you, you know, as a child, you love this stuff and it never lives up. To right. It means something to you. It means something to yeah. both of us. Yeah. Right. So you, you see that as as it, it has kind of fallen away and it just seems like it's oversimplified. But like, you know, the scenes in, um, you know, Obi-Wan where, you know, they've got a, a little girl and she's running around and it's like, uh, like, it just yeah, get looked, it. But I, I, like, I, that's that's not I, Disney. And the same thing with Ahsoka. Ahsoka can't fight. Watch her. I'm, th- I'm asking you to do this. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You, you are Disney. Yeah. Have someone stand in for her who knows how to use swords. You know, she moves in slow motion, you know, and it's like, I, I expect better from them. So when it has the name Disney on it, if it had the name Joe on it, all right, then it's a garage video, right? Like I can expect it's going to be a low budget thing, but you could pick any actor or actress in the world and you have access to Lucas ranch technology and you can do anything you want. And that's what they yeah. do. Well, we've got Filoni, and he happens to be a Penguins fan. And, you I know, know he's a Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh guy. Native. Yeah. And yeah. I think he's our best hope at this point. And so my guess is. Oh, he's our only hope? Yeah. <laughs> did you get that? You, he got it. How did you miss that? Greg got it. You know, yeah, help I me, Dave Filoni. You're my only hope. Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I, you know, I've met Dave and I believe in him and I believe that he has the intellectual capacity and the creative chops, but he's still in that um, Padawan mode as a, you know, a live action filmmaker. He's been in animation his whole career. And I just think that he's opening the gateway like he's Ahsoka is going to do some really dramatic things and then there'll be an opportunity and they've given him another film. Right. He's going to have a full length feature that he gets to produce. So I'm hoping that the that we can that the the galaxy can be healed from the current Clone Wars that are going on. Well, keep this in mind. I mean, 
As an animator, those are the more popular shows. The Clone Wars was a popular show. Bad Batch is a very popular show. Uh, and even if you get away from the Skywalker path, I mean, the best movie they've had out in the last 10 years was Rogue One. Right. I mean, it was literally the best of the best. And it had nothing. There was no, there was just like the prequel, right? You only got your little taste of, of yeah, right Darth the Vader end. there at the end. But, you know, and, and that was good. It kind of connected everything together. But that's saying something, you know, as, as the number one, and it, like you can't, you know, this it's hard to screw this up, and it just seems like they're stuck in neutral, and they do just enough to keep nerds like me watching. Like I'm going to watch anything they put out, and I'm going to complain about it. But there's got to be a day where they break loose of that. And, and so what would it over take and for you to stop complaining? complaining? Better product, right? You know, like you tell me that you. Outside of it being Star Wars, was Boba Fett really good? Hey, Boba Fett crawls out of this thing <laughs> that he's been in. We don't know he's alive. He has this regeneration at the hands of the Tuscan warriors who were evil up until then. And now they're good, you know, because God forbid they're not they're They still stay evil. And then, of course, he can't be evil anymore because we don't have evil characters as our main character. So now he's good. And he goes into a town where, of course, they're selling spice, just like on Dune. And everybody's selling spice. Spice is code for drugs. You can't come up with something better than drugs. You know what I mean? As your is the reason. And it's all it's scattered through everything. Everything is spice this, spice that. And it's like, God, it's just it's overdone. Right. And that's the whole thing with the time stuff. And it's like I've just seen it over and over and over again. Just make a better plot. That's all I'm asking for. It doesn't as long as you you can set it inside the Star Wars realm. But, you know, it's just like Star Trek. You know, I hate to bring it up, but, like, there's good Star Treks and there's very bad Star Treks. And to get back, you sometimes need someone to take a leap of faith and do something well. And you can you can tie them all together. It's just, you know, actresses and actors need to be up to par. It can't just be because they're, you know. Like, and the other thing is, yeah, just because they're flea and flea's chasing someone around. I'm looking, I'm like, why is Red Hot Chili Peppers in Star Wars? Yeah. You know, you can't have that kind of character. It's it's based on people that you Bad don't casting. know. Yeah, it and it's just out of the story. I love it's Flea, I would, uh, right? Yeah, I agree. Okay, but when you see Flea, who's Flea? He's Flea. He's not the mercenary yeah. guy. He's yeah. Flea. Like, why is Flea chasing it? Like, I don't even get it. Yeah, you know, get someone that's an unknown, and and then they don't carry that with them. That baggage. It's not there. like there aren't and enough I, unknowns. Yeah, <laughs> and look, and I'm with you. I hope to God he can pull it out. I just. I haven't the seen it in the last four. Him. I know that Dave, the force is with Dave Filoni. <laughs> this will, this is going to turn out right. Trust me from yeah. the man, the young boy who at 13 saw a new hope before there was any hope of there being any more star Wars and who then yeah. later grew up to be a Jedi in one of the star Wars films. I am convinced that there's going to be greatness ahead of us. Well, if you've talked to him, have him call me. We'll work it out. And then we, we will save it together. No. Moped Outlaws, JV, and Dave from Pittsburgh. And it, we're, we're good. So we're good. Let me, I, I'm going to run. I've got this story I want to tell. This is going to run over. Do you have time, JV? I do. Okay. So I came up with this cool story that's kind of a Han solo origin story. All right. Okay. So Han is living on Corellia, right? Yeah. And his father. You mean not the one they gave us, though, right? No, this is a whole. Just Han, think, he's so clean low. slate. Listen to Marky's <laughs> story. All right, Han is on Corellia. He's a young boy, and the Empire is like kind of crushing in, and things are going bad. And the father is trying to protect 
his twin sons, one of whom his whose wife has been injured and possibly killed, and he's trying to get the boys protected. So he's going through this horrendous, like, cacophony of destruction around him with his two boys. And he gets one into, they're all supposed to get into a probe that's going to be launched, you know, to get them out of there. But only one makes it. He gets in the probe and he shoots off into the sky. And now it's Han and his dad. And there's this horrific thing where they get separated. And Han is left to fend for himself in the streets of Karelia, in the dirty streets of Karelia. Meanwhile, cut to the end and we see the probe. And it's flying into the Earth's atmosphere and it crashes at the base of this pyramid. And, and John now. Connery sees it crash there. And he goes and he finds young twin son of in of Harrison Ford of Han Solo and he raises him to be Indiana Jones. That's my that's my origin story for Indiana Jones. What do you think, JB? Yes or no? A thumbs up or thumbs um. down? <laughs> don't don't hold back, man. I can take it. Eric, you got me to Sean Connery. You know, I thought oh. there was going to be some connectivity. I didn't know the indie stuff. Uh, Indy's another one. Guess what they just used in their last movie? Time travel. <laughs> I mean, for the love of God, what did Star Trek use to get Star- Spock back? Time travel. I'm like, oh my God, dude, have a genie with a wish bottle or something. Make it crazy. But like, I'm sorry, uh, your Indy's origin stories. You know what I think would be super weak. cool in book yeah. five of the War Minister series? <laughs> Time travel. What do you think? <laughs> no. no, no, no time travel. No time travel. <laughs> I, I just want to thank you both. That was exactly what I was hoping for. I am so thrilled, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. My, my... So, believe me, I, I argue about time travel. I read it all the time. If there's a time book, I'm going to read it. I know it. But, like, I just expect more from Disney. It's kind of a weak plot device, right? Have the characters engage in pathos, get somebody killed. Maybe someone turns from old bad behaviors into some kind of greater moral character. And that's enough. We don't, right? I think yeah. letting people die in the the dilemmas or in the 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 danger they're in, that's better storytelling than, than necessarily inventing a um, a device that, suddenly rescues the hero. I think people would much rather see something like that occur than see something real occur than, than just a time travel rescue. Did either of you guys see tales from the loop on Amazon prime? That's serious. No. Mm -mm. I'm writing it down, man. Um, It's all about time travel in that. Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to say anything. All I'll say is it's a very slow, experience but i i loved it and um part of what happens it is a series and it does weave together and i believe it handled the idea the concept of time travel in a very imaginative manner and just tales from the loop that title kind of I'll check it out. Amazon Prime, you said, right? Amazon Prime, Prime. yeah. And it's rad. It is just, wow. All right, JB, it's time for the most controversial question of the interview. (laughs) Your Indiana Jones wasn't the most controversial. (laughs) All right, far away. I'm in. 
We talked about the destruction of the United States and Indiana Jones arriving on Han Solo's father's ship and rescued by Sean Connery. We're all, all right, here we go. It can't go. be any worse than that, right? <laughs> all right, here we go. JV, Foo Fighters or Eminem? Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm going to – I will say this. I have a very eclectic musical palette. So I listen to everything except for country. And the poppy country I can suffer, but the rest of it, no. I will have to be honest. This is a bit of a tie for me. And the reason it's a tie, and I'm going to break it, so don't worry. I'm going to commit. I will likely listen to more Eminem than I do Foo Fighters. I think Foo Fighters have more popular songs than Eminem. But because their name is Foo Fighters, and I don't know if you guys know what a Foo Fighter is. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you. that's why I'm going to break it. Because I'm a sci-fi fantasy guy, and they picked a really cool name for their band. So, Foo Fighters. Yeah. We don't talk about aliens much on this show, but... (laughs) I was just about to. We don't talk about... What was that? Never mind. The Disney cartoon. You know, we don't talk about... I forgot the guy. Yeah, I don't know. Neither of you guys have children, huh? All right. No. Not me, (laughs) anyway. children, Jiggy? No, I've got two dogs that are sitting here. I'm surprised they've been quiet the entire time. They were really respectful. I thank them. They are. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, Mark, they said thank you guys. Just to share with you, Mark and my answer to that question is we want them to do something together. We'd love to see a Foo Fighters Eminem single mm. created. Not a bad play. I would be down for that. I would definitely buy it, download yeah. it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's not a bad one. Wow. Well, thank you for everything, JV. You know, having met you, I'm more curious about your writing now than I was just perusing your website and your content. And I'm really grateful for the way that you brought it, man. You brought it all. You were fearless today. (laughs) You're my hero. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's been a a pleasure. Uh, I would be more than happy to do this down the road if you're ever in in dire need for a guest. Cool. And when I come back on and we can talk more indie. We could talk more Star Wars. We could talk more politics, whatever you guys want. Uh, and the one thing I will warn you of is if you do get into the books, you will see that there are things that happen in real life that also happen in those books that I've experienced while I was in DC or doing work internationally. And there are some real political situations, some real military history buried in them. And, uh, also some pretty cool devices that, uh, my version of the Pentagon created that is in the Warminster saga. So I hope you like them. All right. Cool. Cool. Great. An Easter egg to go discover. Love it. Recording stopped.